Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Time to get funky on Beyond the News. Welcome to the show. Welcome to my dinner. Yeah. You ever have one of those days where everything's planned out, everything's great, and then it goes sideways, or as an old English colleague used to say, it went pear-shaped, went pear-shaped. That's kind of my day. But we've got a show together for you anyway. And we'll bring you uh, three hours of fantastic radio, the best radio you've heard all day, uh, between now and 10 o'clock. And if it's not, you get your monies back. So there's the guarantee. Whatever you paid for it, you'll get it back. Mm -hmm. There's an odd thing going on on Parliament Hill, and you won't hear about it in most of the media because most of them are whistling past it. Not everyone, but most are. And this odd thing is that The Liberals are repeatedly not living up to their own hype. They're not living up to their own uh, statements, their own principles, their own rhetoric. All through the election campaign, the Liberals talked about making sure that people paid their fair share of taxes. You remember that? And I keep alluding to this. We've got numbers coming out from the Rebel that you won't believe that just dispel this myth of the rich don't pay their fair share craziness. In the middle of working on a piece on that, we'll get that to you soon. But all during the Liberal campaign, they ran this Occupy Wall Street campaign. They bashed big business. They bashed wealthy Canadians. They even bashed small business. Do you remember Trudeau being asked about the small business tax rate and he said, well, you know, maybe we'll lower it, but you, 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 there's just an awful lot of tax cheats that are small businesses. We have, we'll, we'll probably have things to say about it, but we have to know that a large percentage of small businesses are actually just uh, ways for wealthier Canadians to save on their taxes. And we want to reward the people who are actually creating jobs and contributing in, in concrete ways. So there's, there's a little tweaking to do around that. Uh-huh. They're just in it for the the tax breaks. Well, it turns out that Justin Trudeau may know something about this. It turns out that Trudeau himself has a number of numbered companies. It was in Le Journal de Montréal once again. This is the same newspaper that last week broke the story of Bill Morneau, the finance minister, having his company having subsidiaries in the tax havens of Delaware and Bahamas. So as liberals are bashing companies for setting up in Panama, and we don't know if they've done anything wrong, but everyone's smeared, we find out that Bill Morneau and Morneau Chappelle, they've got subsidiaries in Delaware and Bahamas. Why do you set up there? Because if you want to do business in the Caribbean, well, you set up in Bahamas because it's a tax, low tax jurisdiction, low regulation jurisdiction. Delaware, bigger tax haven than Panama. United States, number three on the list of countries known as tax havens. Because of jurisdictions like Delaware, it has more companies than people in it, I believe. So today, the headline in Le Journal de Montréal, numbered companies for Trudeau. It then lays out how Trudeau's been using a number of numbered companies 
to offset taxes, to lower taxes, and to uh, defer taxes. So when Justin Trudeau says there's an awful lot of people that, uh, that are just using it for the tax advantages, well, maybe he knows what he's talking about. They list off the four small businesses that Trudeau set up. JPJT Canada Inc., and it was listed as a, a federal company involved in conferences. It was created in 2006 and removed in 2011. This was the company he used for his speaking engagements. This is the company that would bill charities tens of thousands, $20,000. My, my friend Ray Hurd likes to say most people give to charity. Justin Trudeau takes from charity. That, that's the company he used to charge ten dollars and $20,000 to school boards and charities to go and give a talk. Then there's another numbered company under the, uh, the trust, the estate of his late father, Pierre Trudeau. But they weren't all set up by Pierre Trudeau. This one company, a numbered Quebec company, was created in 2007. It was set up to be involved in the production and sale of firewood and timber and property development. What did they use it for? Well, they got this really nice multi-million dollar estate in the Laurentians. And they probably do sell some firewood from there. And they probably rent it out. But they put it under a numbered company so that they would pay less tax. Then they've got 3701140 Canada Inc. It was created in 2001. It was a holding company. Holding companies are used to shelter other assets. Guess what? This one... This one was created in 2001. It was used to defer taxes, and it was shut down on October 20th, 2015, the day after Justin Trudeau was elected prime minister. Hmm. And then we've got the Blind Trust. It was set up by Pierre Trudeau for his sons in 1979 and shut down in 2013. Again, deferred taxes. We'll be speaking with Gerard Deltel, conservative MP, from Quebec on this issue later on. But he wasn't the only one asking about this in the House of Commons today. Tom Mulcair, the newly wounded NDP leader, got up and asked several questions in French and then turned to around and also asked Trudeau about this issue of his numbered companies used to lower and defer taxes in English. It turns out he left a few things out of the picture. You see, the Prime Minister failed to disclose all of the companies that he used to shelter his investments. Why didn't the Prime Minister tell Canadians about all of these companies he was using to shelter his investments and avoid paying his full share of taxes? Right on the Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, Canadians know that every step of the way I have been open and transparent about my own uh, personal finances, about my own holdings. Indeed, I raised the bar on transparency and openness in a way uh, that the members opposite simply never did. I, uh, I stand by uh, my disclosures, by openness, and continue to challenge members on the opposite side of the uh, House uh, to reach the level of openness and transparency that on this side of the House we have always demonstrated. Open and transparent. I don't think he knows what those words mean. Because we didn't know about the numbered company he just shut down. He didn't, he didn't tell us about this company. Someone's calling in and saying, what's the difference between a numbered company and a named company? Well, in a numbered company, it's hard to find out who owns it. 
there's no uh, features that will give you a hint of what it does or why. So people generally use numbered companies because they don't have a name for it and they don't want anyone looking into it. That is part of the reason you use a numbered company, because you don't want openness and transparency. But Trudeau, Trudeau just keeps saying he wants openness and transparency, or he, he practices openness and transparency. And he's starting to remind me of the Rolling Stones. Do you know who named the Rolling Stones the world's greatest rock and roll band? The Rolling Stones. And then they repeated it over and over and over again. You know who named Michael Jackson the king of pop? Michael Jackson and his people. And then they repeated it over and over and over again until people believed it, until other people repeated it. So Justin Trudeau is hiding things. Bill Morneau is hiding things. Their rhetoric is attacking people for doing what they do. And I'm not saying anything Justin Trudeau is doing is illegal. But don't come at me. Don't come at doctors and lawyers and plumbers and the contractors that live up and down my street who have small businesses because that's what they are. And then say, well, those people are just in it for the tax breaks. They're tax cheats. When you have four companies that you've set up to defer or lower your taxes. This man is unbelievable. And I know Michael's going to email in again and say, well, you just leave him alone. Why are you always on at him? Because there's something else stupid that he does every day. Now, have you heard about this everywhere? Has this been front page news? Outside of Le Journal de Montréal, has it led every newscast? No, it hasn't because Trudeau. Because Trudeau. That's all. This guy gets a pass from the majority of people in the media. He's not getting a pass from me. To paraphrase Shakespeare, oh, his hypocrisy is rank. It smells to heaven. Like I said, we'll have Gerard Deltel in on this later on. But good to see the conservatives and the NDP picking up on this, picking up on Trudeau's hypocrisy and calling them out on it. Don't call people who run small businesses tax cheats when you've got four of them set up to lower your own taxes, sir. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580, CFRA. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Giving my uh, my board off heart attacks as I walk into the studio while they play my intro music. What? I'm on air on time. That's your problem. My John Lovitz impersonation. So either Tom Mulcair, who we just played earlier, taking Justin Trudeau to task, and there's no doubt that Tom Mulcair is a gifted parliamentarian. He knows what he's doing in the House of Commons. Um, And I was defending him earlier in the way. I was defending him Monday against the socialist hordes that dropped him because they're crazy. But either he's loved by his caucus and not by the party faithful, or this was one heck of a show outside the NDP caucus room earlier today. It's the first caucus meeting 
Caucus meetings happen every Wednesday morning when the House is sitting. The first meeting since he was voted out on the weekend. And he says, it's the best caucus meeting he's ever been to. Oh my, it's so awesome. I don't know how that can be. But he still came out surrounded by new Democrat MPs. And Mulcair said every single person in the room got to speak their mind and they love him. It was an inspiring, uplifting, positive meeting. And the result is here with me today. All right. Well, look, I defended you against the craziness, Tom, but it's got to be hard. I feel for you. You're in a bad space, but I'm just not buying it. Let me move on to uh, to the U.S. vote and what's going on down there. Donald Trump did a town hall with his uh, children and his wife. And they allowed the, the family to speak, and I think it humanized Trump to a degree. He was on with Anderson Cooper. Um, you know, Trump can be harsh. And while he has a lot of support with his base, he doesn't, that support doesn't translate to people who are Democrats or a lot of other Republicans. So when it gets into general election matchups in the polls, he fares badly. But this might have changed it a bit. But still, we've got Uncle Bernie out there, U.S. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders, the old crazy socialist saying, don't worry about Trump. He's never going to make it to the White House. I know that many Americans are worried about the possibility of Donald Trump becoming president of the United States. It ain't going to happen. Why aren't this is a constant theme. I'm worried about Donald Trump becoming president. And it's accepted in the media, even in media that are very light on Trump. I mean, CNN is pretty, you know, they're better than MSNBC. But a lot of the big media outlets go light on Trump because they don't want him going after them the way he went after Fox and took them on. He's beaten the media into submission with a big giant stick. But nobody turns around and says, I'm... They, they don't play clip after clip of people saying, I'm really worried about Bernie Sanders becoming president. I'm really worried about a really old socialist becoming president. I'm really worried about a communist taking over. And they don't do that with Hillary Clinton either. I mean, Hillary Clinton could be facing indictment. She should be facing, facing a, a criminal indictment. And I'll be shocked if she doesn't. Actually, I won't be shocked. I'll be disappointed. But this is how politics too often is played. We need those stories. By the way, that was Sanders speaking in front of 11,000 supporters in Buffalo last night. 11,000 people. New York votes next Tuesday. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Next, North Carolina, you heard it in the news at the top of the hour. North Carolina is facing a big storm because they brought out a bill that said you use the bathroom of the gender you have. And suddenly this is the biggest freaking issue on the planet. When did it not become you use the bathroom of the gender that you have? When did that? This is only recently that this has become something that activists have pushed. 
And so other people are saying, no, 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 we don't like that. You're going to, if you're a man, you go to the men's room. If you're a woman, you go to the women's room. So there are people pushing for bills to say that can't happen. In North Carolina, they passed a bill that says that's how it's going to be. And now you've got businesses saying they're pulling out. You've got the people canceling concerts. And the governor, Pat McCrory's office, having to put out a video talking about how they're, they're trying to uh, protect both privacy and equality. Now, I know these actions will not totally satisfy everyone. But the vast majority of our citizens want common sense solutions to complex issues. Here's a complex issue. Why is it okay to boycott North Carolina, but okay to go to Cuba? PayPal, I think it was, says they will not uh, expand in North Carolina, but they are expanding in Cuba. And these artists that are saying they will not go to North Carolina will go and play Cuba and China and places that uh, violate human rights on a grand scale. But don't dare say, use the bathroom that matches what you are. Otherwise, the left will lose it on you. Oppress freedom of speech, freedom of religion, political rights, take away property rights. That's all good. It's what they want anyway. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Beyond the News at CFRA.com if you want to email me. Back after this. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You want proof that French fries are an amazing food. It's that they're still good when they're cold. You know, when you finish the rest of your dinner and then you get to the fries late, they're still good when they're cold. French fries. Good. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. Um, This is what we're going to do for the rest of the show. I'm just going to talk about food. No, that's not true. Coming up later on in the program, Solomon Friedman, defense lawyer here in Ottawa. We're going to talk about a couple of issues with Solomon. One, the fact that people are waiting three years for trial. That's very disturbing because the fact is you're supposed to have a speedy trial. You cannot be, be dragged through the courts forever. It's not fair to anyone. We'll talk about that, but also the ridiculous claims being made by the people pushing the gun registry just across the river in Quebec. You won't believe what they're claiming. I'll speak to uh, John Robson, the hillbilly professor, about uh, an issue that we discussed last night. Real rights versus fake ones like the right to Internet access. And uh, bring you some update on a couple of refugee stories. But right now, Cheryl Gallant joins me now. She is the conservative MP for Renfrew, Nipissing, Pembroke. Cheryl, thanks for coming on. I think your riding might be one of the only ones that hasn't changed its name in years. Well, we had to fight for that. They tried to change it in the last go. Ah, good, good. Because at least your riding I know. I I barely know my own anymore. But yours we know. You you and your office were emailing me about uh, an issue that I know uh, we had some expressions of concern here at the radio station. There were expressions of concern at the rebel.media over something that's included in the budget. And I don't know that we have enough details yet on on what they're trying to do, but it looks like a bank bail-in if things go badly. 
Well, that is uh, certainly the issue that has generated a lot of calls into our office. But it's not that in of itself, because a bail-in framework can be done productively, safely, and uh, without risk to depositors. But So we've got the bail-in scheme uh, tucked away on page 223 of the Trudeau budget. Then we, we have the Canadian banks who are holding billions of dollars of debt from the oil sands. Combine that with the largest recorded flight of capital since records began to be kept. In, um, in, here in Canada? So the, the assets left Canada, uh, uh, $122 billion of which went to the United States. The rest uh, of the 400 and some odd billion went to other countries. Uh, and in contrast with other countries, Canada has sold off all its official gold holdings. So the Bank of Canada on February 23rd of this year showed gold reserves at zero. So Canada now stands as the only G7 nation that does not hold at least 100 tons of gold in its official reserves. And then we have uh, the in the budget again, the Canada Revenue Agency um, being allocated $444 million, and they're allocating that money out of uh, money that the, the uh, tax collectors are supposedly going to squeeze out of taxpayers' dollars in the first place. So they don't even have that money in hand, but they're allocating it in the budget. So you think that this is just coming together, a series of perfect storm issues that if things go badly as far as the economy is concerned, we could be in a heap of trouble. Well, it's important for Canadians to think about all these different factors that are coming together at this point in time. I want my constituents to think about it. Uh, Right now, they're already thinking about taxes and money because it's tax season and all this on the heels of the budget. So there are a lot of tax issues and budgetary items in the forefront. But now we've got to put all this together and see where it's going. Do you think that the bail-in language that's in the budget is it different than what was there before in term uh, in terms of what banks could do if they got into trouble, if they didn't have enough market capitalization to cover uh, the payouts they need to do? Okay, so first of all, Canadian depositors do have the Canadian uh, Insurance Deposit Corporation, and that covers $100,000 per entity. So if you're fortunate enough to have that kind of money and you have two bank accounts in your name uh, at the same institution, well, you're covered for 100000 So uh, when Flaherty consulted on a, a similar system, he, the bank deposits of individuals were protected. So this uh, scheme is, that is being presented is based on the fact that taxpayers shouldn't be the ones to bail out the rich banks. Essentially, it should be the shareholders. But uh, the the voices that we're hearing now are concerned as to whether or not the consumer deposits will be considered to be part of the eligible debt responsible for a bailing in a bank. And we haven't seen, it hasn't been spelled out in the Liberal budget as to whether or not they will opt to follow a similar approach to that of the Conservative government who were looking at this, but 
excluding depositors in the bail-in regime. Okay, so we're now worried that um, Mrs. Smith down the street, retired, all her money's in the bank now, drawing down on it, her money could be at risk. Uh, the $100,000 uh, coverage, she doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, what is at risk, though, are the... But, but I mean, yeah, Cheryl, if, 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 if you've worked a long time and, and retired, having more than that, uh, is not a ridiculous thing. You don't have to be super wealthy to have that in, in terms of re- a retirement nest egg. So you, what you do is you distribute the money across different uh, banks uh, so that you've got the, the insurance uh, coverage overall. But where we do have an element of risk is in our, our, re- our retirement funds and pension funds where de- the investments have gone towards bank shares because it's the bank shareholders that would have to come up with the money. In the same way that we're seeing now in the news in Europe, what they call quantitative failure, all this creating money out of thin air using a quantitative easing, the bondholders, the people lending the money to the governments uh, at rates of interest, are now seeing that there are negative rates of interest. So what that means people holding the bonds actually have to pay out interest instead of collecting interest on their investment. Uh, I I love terms like quantitative easing. It's a fancy word for printing money or digitizing money because we don't print it anymore. It's just numbers in an account. Exactly. So, all right. Has this issue been raised uh, in the House of Commons? Has the finance minister or department uh, responded to questions on this that you know of? Uh, No, we're still trying to get the answers as to whether or not uh, they plan on protecting deposits because deposits, the uninsured portion, uh, are actually credits. Uh, So depositors are creditors. And we've seen in other countries where they have converted uh, parts of deposits into shares and that those, again, became what was... Required in in Cyprus, they shut down the banks, and Where? you weren't in Cyprus a yes. couple of years ago. They shut down the banks. You could not take money out. And uh, so then when they did open the banks again, some of your money was gone from your account. I don't even think they had the $100,000 limit. Everyone gave up some of their money and got equity in the bank. Well, you know, being a shareholder, a tiny shareholder in a failing bank isn't isn't going to replace my money. Right. So they called that a haircut, uh, uh, very slick. But that was as a a consequence of operating and accumulating deficits without taking corrective action over several years, many years. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, keep us up to date on uh, on what you find out. I know this is something I've received emails on uh, both here and at the Rebel. I know this is something that people are concerned about. So let us know if and when you do get good answers on this, Cheryl. Thanks so much. Thank you. Cheryl Glant, the MP for Renfrew, Nipissing, Pembroke, joining us on the phone. Uh, send us an email on that, news at CFRA.com. Is this something that worries you, the language that was in the budget? news at CFRA.com. You know where to find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. We'll be posting some new information there shortly. Make sure you check it out. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa.
coming up in about 40 minutes' time. We'll speak to Gerard Deltel. He is one of the rising stars for the Conservative Party out of Quebec, former broadcaster turned politician, and um, boy, he speaks his mind. He's going to come in and talk to us about Trudeau's hypocrisy over attacking small business owners as tax cheats while having four small businesses registered, all of which helped him lower his tax bill. Hmm. Hmm. Funny that. We'll get into that and also uh, speaking with John Robson about the history of rights and um, the history of rights, the the Canadian conception and how this this push to get Internet declared a basic human right is just so foreign to us. John always knows the history and he's got a project you're going to want to hear about as well. All of that coming up uh, at the back of the next hour. We'll uh, we'll get into all of that right now, though. It's time for the Redux, a little bit of replay, some of the best stories from elsewhere at CFRA or TSN 1200 or CTV, CTV Ottawa that, uh, that come out of this building. And tonight I want to bring you a Good Samaritan story, Evan Solomon's interview with Brendan Fowley. Brendan, what did you see when you were riding an OC Transpol bus? What happened? Um... We were coming from Canada, going uh, in the direction of Saint Laurent. I was going home. I was uh, visiting my nephew out in Canada, and uh, bus driver stopped uh, around uh, somewhere along Timavik Drive. Bus was stopped for a little bit. Convinced this uh, girl to get on the bus, and we stopped at the Eagleson Park and Ride. And he came back and informed me and the other guy on the bus we were going to be waiting a little while for uh, transit authorities and police to come, and if that was okay with us, which I mean. Why would I be in that much of a hurry? You know, there's more important things in life than, you know, rush, rush, rush. And, um, you know, the police came, took her off the bus, talked to him briefly. We went on our merry way and talked to him, asked him what uh, the story was. And, yeah, he told us about it. She was getting uh, beaten by, I guess, a boyfriend, acquaintance, I don't know. And, yeah, he did the right thing. Hooray. So, so, you're, so let, let, let me hear this story. And I've read your Facebook post, and I'm, I'm speaking to Brandon Fowley, who talked about this. So you're riding the bus around, you know, between 12 and 1. The bus driver stops and starts talking to a woman, delays your ride about half an hour, and it turns out the woman says uh, that she's been a victim of an assault. And the driver just, you know, instead of going on his route and, and, and doing what he's supposed to do, he just takes it upon himself to to get help for this woman why what why did he decide to stop well i mean you say that going on his route and doing what he's supposed to do but i mean in the world we live in what you're supposed to do is the right thing and that's what he did you know what you said it right i i you're, you got me exactly right I, I i'm with you on that so what led him to stop um well i mean she was sitting near a bus stop so Maybe he thought he wanted to get on, or she wanted to get on the bus. Right. And anyways, he stopped and asked her what was up, and you know, talked to her out the door a little bit, and you know, managed to talk her onto the bus. You know, it's going to be okay. And went from there. And and so what happened? So then, did she? The bus just stayed there. She she came on the bus and sat beside the driver. Um, yeah, she sat at the very front, and then we went on our way and stopped at the, the Eagleson Park and Ride. And he stopped the bus there and let us know about the delay. I guess he radioed the proper authorities. And then he sat there at the front, across from her, and talked to her and comforted her, all that, until they arrived. And then the police arrived? Yep. And the whole time you're just riding in the back of the bus? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm just sitting in the back listening to my music and thinking, yeah, no big deal. You didn't know at the time what she told the bus driver. Can you describe, did the, did the woman look in distress at, 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 in any way? Yeah, I mean, it was pretty obvious that uh, she was in distress based on what she was wearing. It was a kind of cold night. She had a sweater draped around her waist and a jacket on and just some sneakers, so... And did she did she appear upset or or hurt in any way? I was sitting towards the back of the bus, so I couldn't tell for sure. But I mean, obviously there was something wrong. So t- tell me something. Uh, what did the driver say to you? So after the police came and they took the woman away, you approached the driver. What did the driver tell you? Well, I just said there when I approached the driver, or when he approached us and let us know about the delay. Well, after the woman left, when you spoke to the driver? I just asked him briefly, like, is she okay? What happened? And he just, he didn't say too much about it because, you know, privacy is a little bit of a thing. He just said, you know, she was, uh, I guess, a victim of an assault. So we had to take care of her, make sure she was going to be okay. So before I let, Brandon, then you, you put it on your Facebook page. What is that, the actions of this driver, which is so, you're, you said it so right, um, extraordinary actions. He did the right thing. The city hall said that they did the right thing. What did watching this driver's actions when he took it upon himself to help someone, what did that mean to you? What does that tell you about this guy? Well, he's obviously a really good person. And most bus drivers are, they just don't get the recognition that they deserve because everyone in the big city is always in a rush to get where they're going. And if the bus is like one or two minutes late, that's all you really hear about is the negative. I figured to myself, well, Maybe I'll write a little blurb for my friends and say, hey, you know what? It's not all bad. People do good things, and that includes bus drivers. And, and that includes students at Algonquin College telling a good story. You know what? Uh, sort of guilty as charged. We're often in the media. We tell the bad story, not the good story. And you've yeah, told no a kidding. good story. Hey, listen, yeah. I get it. You know, uh, and, and we do it. And sometimes the good story is more compelling than the bad stories. And this story of the OC Transpo Bus driver helping a passenger, and, 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 and by the way, just the goodwill that you showed and, and in writing about it, we appreciate you raising it, and, and thanks for talking to us on the program today, Brendan. Hey, no problem. You guys should also, uh, you know, like mention stuff like uh, Nelson House and Harmony House for, like, abused women. You know, people want to donate to that. That's uh, also the other big part of this story. Like, that happens a lot. And those women need help. You're absolutely right, and we've done a fair bit on on, obviously, assault and sexual assault, and we've talked a lot about that. I should just say, you're absolutely right. This leads to people who need help and are getting help. Your story has been shared over 3,400 times. Very important. One person can make a difference on a bus, and one person can make a difference just on the Facebook page. Brendan, thanks for sharing uh, the story with us and with the city. Really appreciate it. All right, no problem. Thanks. That's Brendan Fowley, studying power power line engineering at Algonquin College. Basically giving us all a lesson in what? Do the right thing and the humanity of Ottawa. It is one thing I love about this city. That was uh, Brendan Pelley speaking with uh, Evan Solomon earlier today. One thing I do love about Ottawa is that it is a, a caring community. It will come together. Later on in the show, we're going to bring you two stories about refugees. One is, I don't know that either one is heartwarming, but uh, one is cautionary, I guess you could say. And the other is the community stepping up to help refugees because the government's failing them. We'll get into this later, the different classes of 
of refugees. There are uh, government-assisted refugees and privately-sponsored refugees. And the ones that we've been having trouble with in terms of settling them, in terms of getting them housing, are the government-sponsored ones. The privately-sponsored ones, the community groups, the bowling leagues, whatever, that are coming together, they have to have all their everything together, their, their act together, everything in order before the family shows up. The government just brought people over in droves, put them in hotels. Now they've got them in housing. But as you'll hear later on, they are leaving them on their own after promising them the world. It's ridiculous what's happening. But the people of Ottawa are stepping up. So we'll get to that later on. But coming up next, Solomon Friedman, defense lawyer. We're going to talk about uh, two issues. Quebec's gun registry. And and we'll also get into people waiting three years or more for trial. I thought we had a right to a, a fair and speedy trial. See, that's a real right, not like Internet. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580, CFRA. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So we we told you the story the other day, and we had Gary Dimmick on, crime reporter at the Ottawa Citizen. We had him on yesterday uh, about this fellow that um, killed himself at the Ottawa jail. And there's not going to be too many people crying over someone who was accused of the crimes that uh, that this man was accused of. But... What stuck out at me was he was arrested in May 2014, and he wasn't scheduled to go to trial until, I think, May 2017. That's three years. That's longer than you can get as a sentence, and that's not how our justice system is supposed to operate. I wanted to bring on Solomon Friedman, defense lawyer, and uh, my my usual go-to guy on firearm stuff, but tonight, Solomon, I, I want to start on this issue before we get to the, the Quebec crazy gun registry stuff. How common is this? People waiting in, in jail, they have not been convicted of anything, but obviously the courts feel they need to stay in jail, awaiting trial. But how common is it to wait three years? Well, it is unfortunately all too common. Uh, delays are endemic in our system, and uh, they're endemic for a number of reasons. The first one is one of simple resources. We only have a certain number of judges and a certain number of courtrooms. Uh, if just to give your listeners, you know, some some insight, if you were setting today a uh, two-week-long trial, and remember, if we're dealing with a very serious offense, murder trials run five, six, seven, eight weeks. Um, but if we were we were running a trial of a, of a week or so, we would likely be looking at a date twelve months down the road. Um, which is one months. thing if you're on bail, mm-hmm. um, and it's a very different thing um, if you are. Um, obviously in custody, but that's from when you're ready to set the trial. In in complex trials, in complex cases, the problem isn't often uh, the delay from the time you set the trial, but from when the defense has the information that they uh, need in order to set the trial. The disclosure process is incredibly intensive and can eat up a lot of time because, once again, the police have limited resources. So particularly in a case like the one we just heard about at the OCDC uh, with the recent suicide, it sounds like a, a fairly complicated case, the defense might not have been able to make their decisions 
uh, until months and months, if not, you know, 10, 12 months after the original charge was laid. That's, that's very problematic. So, look, we were talking last night about this crazy idea that the Internet's a basic human right. To me, a, a fair and speedy trial, when you're facing any allegation, that is a, a real right. And, it's absolutely a right. And, and it's being violated. That's right. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees every person in this country who is charged with an offense to uh, a fair trial without unreasonable delay. And uh, unreasonable delay has been defined by our courts as follows. If we're talking about a, a trial in the provincial court, 12 months is the limit, although every case will be different. Every case will be looked at individually. If it's over 12 months, courts are going to start looking very critically as to the reasons for the delay. Um, if we're talking about a, a, a case that goes to the Superior Court, we're probably looking at the 18-month range. And even those delays, you know, the fact that we just accept them because they are what they are, uh, is in and of itself troubling. There are jurisdictions in the United States in particular where people are guaranteed a trial within 90 days. Uh, one of the things that happens in jurisdictions like that is uh, the prosecutors are a lot more selective about the cases they bring to trial, knowing that they're going to have to be ready for it and they can't be clogging their system mm -hmm. Uh, needlessly. So it actually leads to some selection about which charges actually make it to trial. But we are looking at, at a serious, serious problem where people forget about the people in custody. I mean, that is an, an, an abomination. But the people who are out of custody, who have this hanging over their head and who are labeled accused X, whether it's accused rapist or accused fraud artist, they, they don't have a chance to clear their name until months, months and months, if not years later. Yeah. When they lived that stigma for so long. What's the conviction rate in, in, in Ontario courts? Is everyone that is charged guilty? Are they all convicted? You know, I, I wrote an article about this in the midst of the Gomeshi hype. So if you take sexual assault, for example, uh, sexual, the, the conviction rate for sexual assault is 44%. So that means that more than half of the people who are charged with sexual assault will ultimately be found not guilty. The charge will be withdrawn before trial, or as is more likely, they will be acquitted. In other words, a judicial finding will be made that they are not guilty, but they've had to live under the stigma of accused rapist, accused sex assault perpetrator mm -hmm. for, for months, if not years. So you know, how do you uh, fix this? Well, I, I think there are two ends to this problem. Um, I always like to look at the front end of the justice system and the back end of the justice system. The, the front end is how many people are we charging and how many offenses are we charging them with? Um, you know, there are a lot of different issues that, that go into that. For some people, they feel safer in a society where the police are laying more criminal charges. Uh, for others who have a more nuanced view, they'll say that, you know, the police used to have an enormous amount of discretion when it came to laying criminal charges. And, and one of the great examples of that is the domestic violence paradigm, where in, uh, in Ottawa, for example, the police have a policy essentially that if they show up to a domestic disturbance call, somebody is getting charged, and the Crown is going to proceed with that charge. And that's been the case for, for, for several years. And what happens is that in incidents where there may be some benefit from mediation, from conflict resolution, the police just come there and charge somebody or somebody's. Um, and obviously those are people that go into the justice system, whether they're convicted or not, they, they clog up the system. So we, we look at the front end, but the, the back end is equally important. And the back end isn't just the number of judges, 
but it's how you know selective Crown prosecutors are about screening out the charges in terms of what will ultimately proceed to a trial. Um, there's a, a great reluctance often to withdraw charges, to stay proceedings. But what you end up happening is a lot of matters that are really of a, of a non-criminal nature, whether it's civil disputes uh, that escalate, neighbor disputes, minor assaults that used to get diverted out of the justice system, uh, are now clogging up our courts, youth matters in the same way. So I think we, we need to take a little bit of a, of a more nuanced view as to you know, what do we want our criminal courts doing? Do we want them doing the truly serious matters um, and addressing the other matters through alternative means? Or are we content with delays of a year, two years, or three years? All right. Before we're out of time, I, I do want to get to this issue of Quebec's uh, gun registry, because you are my go-to on firearms law. And uh, I read this story this morning in the Montreal Gazette and emailed I emailed Solomon right away. I was like, oh, but I hadn't even had coffee, Solomon. And I, this doesn't look right to me. Email Solomon. Ask him if true. Uh, the Quebec government is is bringing in this ill-advised gun registry, but then you've got activists there saying, well, there's a loophole that allows people to sell a, a firearm privately without checking that uh, the person has a license. And we need to close that loophole. So the, the Quebec government is now saying, yeah, we'll make the bill even tougher on people that aren't out there breaking the law. And they're targeting the law-abiding gun owners. Is this true? If I'm a licensed gun owner, can I sell a gun to my neighbor who has no gun license? You know, this this is a classic example of individuals seeking to tighten restrictions on firearms but having no basis, in fact, for doing it, so instead turning to fantasy. The criminal code has two separate offenses that would cover such a scenario. The first one is the offense of transferring a firearm without authority. All firearms transfers pursuant to the criminal code must be done in conformance with the Firearms Act. That means that the buyer has to have a license and the seller has to have a license. So if you transfer a firearm and you do not comply with that, you are committing a criminal offense, you are subject potentially to imprisonment. Moreover, there is a, there is a offense of firearms trafficking. That is transferring a firearm to somebody that you know doesn't have a license or you know is prohibited. Not only does that carry the possibility of jail, it carries a mandatory minimum sentence of three years imprisonment. So, you know, what we have here is, is really little more than scaremongering. I think on the Quebec side, they realize they're losing the substantive debate about the gun registry. So, they, you know, they sort of you know, toss out the smoke bomb and run and say, oh, but there are problems with the current federal legislation. These are criminal offenses. I can tell you that as a criminal lawyer, someone who specializes in firearms law, that anybody who would conduct themselves in the way that's suggested um, is indeed committing a criminal offense. There is no loophole here to be closed. The behavior they're describing is absolutely criminal. It's a bit like during the election, Justin Trudeau turning around and saying uh, he wants to repeal parts of uh, C-42, the common sense firearms legislation, uh, because it allows you to keep a pistol in your glove compartment in your car while you're going grocery shopping. Yeah, you know, it, it's a made-up claim that has no basis in reality. You know, I, I was asked that very question. It's amazing what legislators themselves don't seem to know about their own legislation their house is, is, is debating. <laughs> well, the, I, I was, I, I'm not surprised. I asked the, uh, the labor minister about a bill she just introduced, and she told me it wasn't about the subject that the bill was about. <laughs> well, I was asked that question um, at committee when I testified on that bill. 
And that bill changed nothing about the fact that when transporting a restricted firearm, the owner needs to take a reasonable, a reasonably direct route. So, you know, for Justin Trudeau at that time, he certainly alleged that it would, it would change that requirement. Once again, this is scaremongering, and that's what you do when you don't have the facts and you don't have the evidence on your side. So you have to construct an argument that will scare the population into taking your side in this debate. Um, unfortunately, in Canada, it's been very successful. That's what's led to things like C-68 and the, and the Modern Firearms Act that we now have to contend with. Uh, we saw that ratcheting back somewhat under, under the Conservatives, but we're seeing it again. When you don't have facts and logic on your side, all you can do is invent fantasy and fear-mongering. All right. Solomon Friedman, thanks for the time tonight. All the best. My pleasure. Solomon Friedman, criminal defense lawyer here in Ottawa and uh, number 11 on my speed dial for when I get in trouble. Uh, I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Don't go away. When we come back, we'll bring you those two refugee stories. Uh, very different refugee stories. We'll bring you those quickly. And Gerard uh, Deltel, uh, conservative MP from the Quebec City area on Trudeau and his numbered companies. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So I've been telling you since it started about problems with the government's refugee rush. Justin Trudeau decided in the middle of the election that he had to bring over 25,000 refugees as fast as possible. And it didn't matter what it did to the country, didn't matter what it did to the refugees, we got to bring them now. And who's the loser in this? Well, right now, the losers are the refugees themselves. Because the government-sponsored refugees do not have a support network. It's not like the privately sponsored one. Like the family uh, sponsored by my parish that's being well looked after as far as I can tell. Instead, these people were warehoused in hotels, and now they've been shoved out into whatever housing they could find for them, and they're given welfare rates. And it turns out, as Eric Lonley, CTV Ottawa reports, pile of people going to food banks. Ahmed Hamami visits a food bank to help feed his wife and five children. It's not what the Syrian refugee expected when he came to Canada in February. No, I didn't expect to come to a food bank, he says. And he's not alone. Here at the Gloucester Emergency Food Cupboard in East Ottawa, they're seeing more than 400 new people a month, 30% more than usual. And more are arriving all the time. I'm pretty sure the government did not realize the effect that all of these refugees would have on many of the local community agencies that help people in need. The food cupboard had to find Arabic-speaking volunteers, and it's had to find more food, especially cultural-specific items like halal meats, chickpeas, pasta, and tomato paste. And it's not just the Gloucester food cupboard. Food banks across the city, and in fact, across the country, are dealing with an influx of Syrian refugees. We're seeing the impact right now in about 14 different agencies across the city. The executive director of the Ottawa Food Bank says it's not just a refugee problem. Michael Maidmont says we're treating them as poorly as we treat all low-income families. The amount of assistance that people are getting is equivalent to social assistance. We know that people on social assistance here in Ontario, um, they receive not enough money to pay for all their expenses. To make matters worse, the refugee families tend to have more children than the Canadian average, yet they have to wait up to three months before receiving the child tax benefit. 
In a written statement, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada says it continues to monitor the evolving nature of this issue and will take further action as appropriate. In the meantime, food banks are asking for more help. Help that is not lost on Ahmed Hamami. I want to thank Canada, he says. Thank the Canadian people with all my heart. A trip to the food bank here is far better than what he left behind. All right. Meanwhile, a different type of refugee story. This one related to the Halifax Chronicle Herald. My uh, friend, my colleague, my fellow rebel, Faith Goldie, headed down to Halifax to find out what happened in that story. Allegations of uh, choking, of rough play, of um, ethnic slurs being used by refugee children against the kids in Halifax. And it was being covered up by the newspaper and the school board. Here's a tease of what Faith is going to be bringing tomorrow. Well, folks, just a few more hours before we head home from Halifax, where the Rebel Dot Media traveled to get to the bottom of a story out of this school behind me, Shebecto Heights Elementary School. Allegations of refugee children bullying, pushing, shoving, choking, and even threatening violence upon their other Canadian student peers. So before we go, a few things to look forward to when it comes to our program on the hunt come this Thursday. I had the opportunity, I really only wanted to meet with maybe even one or two people. I actually had the opportunity to sit down with three different individuals close to this story. Two mothers who say that their daughters actually experienced choking and slapping by refugee students within their classes. And another, a grandmother, who actually allowed us to speak with her granddaughter as well. And she tells us the real story of what's happening behind these walls. Folks, come Thursday, it's going to be a story that you do not want to miss. Be sure to tune in. Faith Goldie, Halifax, Nova Scotia for the Rebel Dot Media. All right. So that's a story you're really only going to find at the rebel.media tomorrow. And um, as details come out, I'll bring them to you here, but uh, it'll be at the rebel first. And this is a story that's more about the media than about the kids. As Ezra Levant said when he was on with me the other day, kids fight. Of course, kids are going to fight. And when there's a difference, you know, you got new Syrian kids coming in, refugee kids, there's going to be some t- tussles. But the fact that the the newspaper shut it down because they didn't want to to make refugees look bad, if it had been the other way around, this story would have been going for a week and Prime Minister Trudeau would have been flying there to apologize to everyone he could meet. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, the rising star of the Conservative Party in Quebec, Gerard Deltel, in studio. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Merci, Monsieur le Président. En septembre dernier, le Premier ministre a eu l'occasion d'exprimer le fond de sa pensée concernant ce qu'il pense des petites entreprises. Et je le cite. Il faut savoir qu'un grand pourcentage de petites entreprises sont une façon pour les Canadiens plus riches de réduire leurs impôts. Comme il l'a fait. Eh bien, le point qu'on peut dire, c'est que je ne sais pas si tu es en train de faire ça. Je pense qu'il faut que tu Conservative MP uh, from Quebec City, joining me now in studio. Vous were asking le Prime Minister about the issue mm-hmm. I, I opened the show about. Yeah. And that is this whole issue of his numbered companies. So yes. far, This is reported in Le Journal de Montréal. Mm -hmm. It's talked about here. Mm -hmm. You raised it in the House. Tom Mulcair, kudos Mm -hmm. to him, he raised it. I don't see it splashed everywhere. Yeah, I'm very surprised. But, you know, uh, let the people decide and let the people learn about that. For sure it's legal. 
But the point is, when you are prime minister, you have to be beyond that. You have to be stronger than that. Well, and also, he, um, Stephen, can can we play the clip oh, of yeah. um, of Justin Trudeau? I just have to get uh, my producer's uh, attention here. Um, can we play the clip of Justin Trudeau from earlier talking about tax cheats? Because mm-hmm. he's got all these small businesses, and during the election campaign, said people set up small businesses just to avoid taxes. We have, we'll, we'll probably have things to say about it, but we have to know that a large percentage of small businesses are actually just uh, ways for wealthier Canadians to save on their taxes. And we want to reward the people who are actually creating jobs and contributing in, in concrete ways. So there's, there's a little tweaking to do around that. So, I mean, <laughs> he, he, was he speaking of himself there? I don't think the majority of small business owners, and I, I am one, yeah, I don't think the majority of small business owners are tax cheats. That's a real cheap shot from the prime minister when he was candidate. It was just a few months ago, just in September, with Peter Manbridge when he said that. And you know what? Uh, this is what I raised in question. I said, I don't know what he, what he had in mind, but the thing is sure, he was in front of a mirror when he said mm-hmm. that because it's exactly what he's doing. But it's an insult to the real entrepreneur, to those who create wealth, those who create jobs, because as for us, the small business are the backbone of our economy. It's quite important to protect, preserve, and help them with the best as we can. And first of all, as Canadians, to buy products from them and not insult them. That's well, exactly you, what Mr. Trudeau did. Well, they've turned around and they've said, well, some of these people, they're sole proprietors. There's only mm-hmm. one employee. Well, that's me. My mm-hmm. business is me. I provide a service to the radio station. I provide services to Rebel. I provide services to other clients. Guess what? I hire people too. Great. I hire people. I buy services. That that just because I'm on my own doesn't make me a tax cheat. And it's not. I, I have to collect their revenue. I have to collect their bloody GST. <laughs> That's incredible to see that our prime minister said that few months ago. I made a, I opened the arm to him. I said, you know, I said to him, well, rise up and excuse yourselves. You know, sometimes in politics, we do some mistake. We do something. We say something that it's all wrong. I I did that not many, many times, but, you know, it's happened to <laughs> me in my you career. Got it. Just to, every time it happens, it happens too much. But anyway, uh, it did that. You know, he made a mistake. So apologize to people. No, he didn't answer my question today. And it's very shameful because when you're prime minister, you're prime minister to Hulk Canadian. And first and foremost, you have to create wellness. And the best way to help the job creation is to help small businesses, not to insult them like prime minister said a few months ago. I, uh, I love this one company that he has. It is a numbered Quebec company mm-hmm. that is, a, you know, it's what sector of the economy is it? You have to register that. <laughs> it's in property development, production and sale of firewood and timber. It's to manage mm-hmm. their multi-million dollar estate in the Laurentians where they have a couple of vacation yeah. homes on this property. Yeah. Well, you know, it's his father who bought that many, many years ago. Great. Good. Congratulations, Mr. Trudeau. But you have to respect the law, what you did. But, you know, you have to be more than that. You have to create wealth with that, not just to let it down and let it uh, appreciate the price and yeah. then having a, selling it with a bigger, bigger price of many years later. These guys run with Occupy Wall Street rhetoric. They turn around and they say um, that, um, that small businesses are tax cheats, that wealthy Canadians don't pay their fair share. And then we've got Trudeau with this. Bill Morneau last week again in the mm-hmm. same newspaper his company, Morneau Chappelle, has subsidiaries in Delaware and Bahamas to low-tax jurisdictions. These are all legal things. 
but they are raking other Canadians over the coals. Exactly. And you know, this. it's it, as far as I'm concerned, it's so typically liberal. They say something, but they do the reverse. You know, they like to have good principle. They like to say, well, we think about the poor people, the poor Canadian, the hard worker Canadian. But you know what? Uh, when I'm close the door after, the, after my day at work, well, now I'm really enjoy the life with the good uh, tricks like that. But you know, when you're prime minister, you have to be over that. You have to be the example, the right example, not the wrong example. The um, small businesses, um, do they deserve a tax break? Trudeau's been waffling on this. Uh, even Tom Mulcair. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know you and the, the the rest of the Conservatives campaigned on a small business tax cut. But even Tom Mulcair said there should be a small business tax cut because uh, lower the... The rate on small businesses, give them more money to expand, to, exactly. to hire people. Do you think Trudeau should should be looking at that in, in, instead of the stimulus spending he's doing, of well, uh, spending than, our money to put other people to work? More than that, he should respect what he said during the campaign. During the campaign, he said that we should put it down at 9%, the tax for the small businesses, and instead it's the, it's the same thing. He didn't put it down at 9% like he said he would do. And also he cut uh, our tax break for creation of jobs we, we established. And the Independent uh, Federation of Canadian Business uh, said that those two major, just those two major, cost $300 million more for small businesses. So instead of helping them, they're putting down a bill of more than $300 million, $300 million to pay. So instead of helping them, they're putting a stick in the wheel and then, okay, guys, try to work now, to try to run <laughs> now, but uh, we put a stick of $300 million in the wheel. So it's not the way of doing business. It's not the way of helping those who create wealth, those who create jobs, our entrepreneur. We are proud of them. We shall support them. They are the backbone of our economy. And at least don't give them more bills. At least help them. Every Canadian, in my view, Every Canadian should be able to take whatever steps they need, legal steps, mm-hmm. to lower their taxes. I should not have to pay more tax than is absolutely necessary. Yep. To me, this is what Trudeau's doing, but it's also what all the small business owners he's insulted are doing. It's what many of the people being called out by the Toronto Star and the state broadcaster and everybody else over the Panama Papers. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's tarred with the same brush there. I'm sure what Vladimir Putin's doing in Panama is not the same as someone that said, oh, I I want to export to Central America. I'll set up in Panama Mm -hmm. because they have good taxes. They're just, it is a constant smear against wealth. And and these are all people that come from wealth. Does that, how does that make sense to you? Well, is it guilt that they have money? Well, the thing is that it's like if they are ashamed of the fact that they have money. Well, you don't have to be ashamed. You work hard. Maybe your father worked harder than you, but at least you work hard. So you have to pay your wages. You have to pay your taxes. That's great because we live in society. But, you know, let me remind you that Mr. Trudeau, who was born and raised, well, he was born here in Ottawa, but he, was, he spent all his life, most part of his life in Montreal. He's an MP from Papineau, Montreal Island, exactly. He lives in Montreal. He represents people from Montreal. You know, last year, he made his uh, income uh, revenue declaration in Ontario. And with that, he saved $6,000. You know, I'm a, kid, I'm a Quebecois. I pay my taxes in Quebec because I represent people of Quebec. He's, he's the MP from Quebecer, but he paid taxes in Ontario to okay, save so, $6,000 bucks. Okay, so dollars. He, 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 um, 
I know the block made a big deal about that. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with MPs from Quebec when they come here. They they have houses here. But the block years ago when they started, they made a big deal. Everybody mm-hmm. in the block had to live in Gatineau. Uh, but you're right. He's filed taxes in Ontario to save money. He's got these four businesses set up to defer taxes or save money. This is ridiculous. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised. He's a man whose grandfather made the family fortune, and no one's had to work in the Trudeau family since the grandfather. Champlain uh, Oil Business. Yeah. Champlain Oil Business had gas stations across the yeah. island, right? And good business, too. Yeah. <laughs> so now he's out against the oil industry, and I know that's one of the issues that you've raised, mm-hmm. is that they are stymieing the oil industry in this country now. Well, you know, it's. I think it's part of the... When we listen to those guys from the left, uh, the spectrum, you know, they're always good to say good advice. Well, this is what is good for the people. This is what is good for the country. This is what is good for everybody. But don't look at me, you know. I say something, but I do the reverse. Faites ce que je dis, faites pas ce que je fais, like we used to say in French. But, you know, it's typically liberal because they are always with good with good ideas. But at the end of the day, it will cost us a lot of money. But they have the, the tricks and the, the, I will not say the dirty tricks, but they have the tricks wow. to save money in their own pockets instead of the pocket of the people. It's do as I say, not as I do. Gerard Deltel, uh, Quebec conservative MP from the Quebec City area. This is a man you want to watch, folks. Uh, spreading the good news, the sane news about politics in La Belle Provence. Thanks so much. My pleasure. All right, don't go away. When we come back, John Robson, the hillbilly professor on the whole issue of the Internet as a basic human right. Robson's going to set us straight. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We'll get to the big issue of Uber at the top of the hour, and we'll get to your phone calls then as well. But yesterday, we were talking about the Internet as a basic human right, and some people thinking that it truly is. Well, I decided to drop by the back porch of the hillbilly professor, John Robson, and get a historic historical perspective on real rights versus fake rights in Canada. So, John, I can't imagine your grandparents or mine saying, this newfangled television, we've got to watch it, or this newfangled telephone, I need to speak to people, it's a human right. I can't imagine my grandparents doing it, but I can imagine some people's grandparents doing it. This notion that we are entitled to whatever we need or whatever we think we need or whatever we want, in some sense it's as old as radicalism itself. This notion that the world owes me anything I happen to want and other people are obliged to furnish it or I will hold my breath till I turn blue or possibly attack them. But I think that it received a really powerful impetus with the transition from classical to modern liberalism. And a lot of people find this transition very puzzling because classical liberals were vehement opponents of state action. They loved laissez-faire. But they did it because they, ha- they wanted to liberate human beings. That's why it's called liberalism. And they thought it was tradition and aristocratic privilege and restrictive state rules that were holding people back from their true fulfillment and the glorious new life that awaited us. And they fought this long battle and they largely won against protectionism and against privilege. 
they got the laissez-faire they were after, but people didn't become taller or more radiant. The New Jerusalem did not descend shining from the sky. And they started looking for other ways to free people. They said it must be, it must go deeper. They must need to be freed from necessity. And so you start freedom to get from want. freedom from want. Franklin Roosevelt mm-hmm. talks about this idea in the New Deal that economic democracy means you get to vote yourself other people's stuff as opposed to that shabby political democracy where you don't get to vote be- yourself other people's stuff. And eventually they did a pretty good job of building you know, the forced unionization and the basics of the welfare state and then more elaborate programs. And there we were with all the stuff that we got from other people and we still weren't fulfilled and they thought it must go deeper. Maybe it's... And at one point it was, we've got to get rid of racial discrimination, which in fact was true. And so we did, but then everybody was just human beings. and We weren't any taller or better looking. And then maybe gender liberation. If only we could all choose our own gender, we'd be liberated. And on it goes, this restless impulse to somehow rid mankind of what some of us at least would call original sin. And so when something new comes along, like the internet, they think, oh, well, you know what, it's social exclusion. What's really wrong is that everybody doesn't like everybody else. And so you get rules like everybody's got to have a valentine, but you can't have people oh, who get valentines cool. once you yeah. don't. It's the same impulse. And so there are all those people who are being somehow denied their right to be a full member of society by other people's mean-spirited refusal to hook up broadband to their house and then you know, be friends with them on Facebook or something like that, connect with them on LinkedIn. And it, it's it's a restless appetite, and it will never cease to demand new things and the latest thing, because it's trying to achieve the impossible. It's trying to get rid of the pain that is an inherent part of human existence. I know that you, you have spent time in some remote parts of Ontario. You like going off to lakes and camps and wilderness, and you've told me stories of, of spending summers at places with no water or electricity. Would you imagine that you, know, you decide you want to go there for the summer, but then you decide you want high-speed internet, and there's no way to get it there. But you know, it's your right, so you know, damn it, give it to me. Yeah, somebody has to give it to you, and it doesn't matter if they have to pay for it, and it doesn't matter if you're some professor with a high salary and the person paying for it's an auto mechanic. That's not the point. The point is the universe owes it to you, and it's mine, mine, mine. And it doesn't matter because – and that hasn't changed with the coming of new technology. That was true when William Godwin was writing his inquiry into social justice, except then it would have been wheat. But it was always this notion that if I don't have everything I want and if I'm not enjoying it as much as I should be, <laughs> somebody else needs to fix it for me. And I have a right to have the state make them fix it for me. And if they're not happy, well, then clearly they're just not sufficiently enlightened because if they were, they would enjoy giving me their stuff. I, I'm not enjoying my cheap whiskey as much as my expensive whiskey. Can, can you make sure I get the good stuff? Well, yeah, I mean, you shouldn't be asking me. Well, what This apologetic tone is part of, you know, blaming the victim. You should be taking it. I should be taking it. From okay. my liquor I'm gonna lift. I'm going to lift a bottle on the way out. But uh, So I, I had people arguing with me last night saying, no, you don't get it, Brian. When, when we say it's a right, it doesn't mean someone has to give it to us. We've just got to lower the price. Well, yeah. that's essentially, in some ways giving it to you because you're forcing someone else to provide a service at a lower price than they want to sell it to you and it's not through the free market it's through the government saying you must sell it for this it doesn't work does it no i mean it's just the sort of the economic equivalent of orwell's line about those who are always somewhere else when the trigger is pulled because the the resources necessary to get you that high-speed internet have to come from somewhere and if you're not paying for them you're confiscating them so the state is going and making somebody somewhere give things up for less than they think they're worth in order that you can get them for less than you'd have to pay if you were actually bidding in the free market for them. And that is always an act of confiscation. And if you can hide it, maybe you sleep better, you feel less guilty, which just goes to prove that everybody knows in 
some sense that stealing is wrong. Do you remember, um, I, I don't know if you went away to university. Um, for grad school, for yes. For grad school, you No, did. at home I was just a member of the privileged elite. My parents were professors. Yeah. I well, went to the university where they taught. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. It's probably nice and cheap there. But I had friends go away. It was free. My parents I, taught there. Friends go to university uh, out of town, and, and, and I'd call them. And then you'd get the phone bill. And long-distance rates were insane. I mean, we would never pay now what we were paying 25, 30 years ago for a long-distance call. We would think it was highway robbery, and there'd be stories everywhere about how the, the telephone company's ripping us off. But those were the rates, and they were regulated. Oh, and yeah. then we pulled back the regulation, and now you're paying pennies a minute. Yeah, in fact, that's what, one of the major reasons there's an Internet. When they deregulated, it lowered the cost of long distance. It freed up the arrangements so that the Internet providers could buy it in bulk. That was a huge step forward in creating the Internet. Uh, totally unforeseen. It just goes to show you what, how creative humans can be when not boxed in and, and hedged in. And, and, and flights were horrendously expensive. As I remember even in the, in the early 80s when I did go to grad school, it was very, very expensive to fly. And so deregulation has brought us wonders, but it hasn't eliminated, you know, Weltschmerz, the sort of pain of existence. And so you will always find political radicals claiming that somehow the government can force other people to make you happier with being you and with being human than you naturally are. And of course, you end up just more unhappy because you know somewhere deep inside that you are committing acts of injustice when you take things from people through the state. You are working on a new project right now. You did the Magna Carta. You're working on a new project to fix the Constitution. This idea of positive rights, is this part of the Canadian tradition or is this uh, a foreign interjection into our body politic? It's a foreign interjection. That's one of the things that is so puzzling about this and about the one we're doing on the right to bear arms, that people aren't content radicals to look at our past and say, yeah, that's how things were. It was awful. We need to change it. Instead, they say, oh, no, no. That that's not our real past. Here's our real past. We were collectivists. We waited for the government. We we took things from the state. You try and tell them in 1958, Canadian governments took less of our GDP than the American one did. In 1945, someone called us the last of the rugged individualists. Oh, so the Americans have succumbed to the welfare state, but not those hardy Canadians. This country was settled by people who did not ask for handouts and did not willingly give them, who would help those in genuine need, but would not support idle, able-bodied, working-age people, and who didn't expect to be given anything but a chase around the table and a kick at the cat, you know, they did it themselves, and they were proud of it, and they derived great satisfaction to the fact they built their own houses, they cleared their own land. We come out of the British tradition in which a man's home is his castle, and you just cannot take people's stuff, including, you know, constitutionally speaking, you couldn't just vote yourself the contents of the public treasury or of somebody else's bank account. It was abhorrent to people like Sir John and MacDonald. This idea that somehow growing up that MacDonald was a red Tory. I mean, here's a man who wouldn't hear talk of gun control. He said, oh no, the, the British Bill of Rights, 18, 1688, as free English subjects, we have the right to defend ourselves mm-hmm. and to have the weapons necessary for it. They believed in a, a constitution similar in principle to that of the United Kingdom. It's what it says in the BNA. That was a government that took about 10% of GDP that were minimally intrusive on any kind of liberty. And, uh, yeah, the, the website is fixtheconstitution.ca because we want to bring back a real charter of rights that protects property, that doesn't contain equalization, that doesn't contain affirmative action, and doesn't have that wretched Section 1 bolt hole where your rights can just be taken away if judges who are themselves utterly unaccountable and unchecked think it's justifiable in a free and democratic society. We're going to have real rights. I don't like the term negative rights because I don't want to be negative about it. But we are going to have 
real rights and not fake ones, rights to what you yourself have earned, including the right to give what you have earned to those in need, but no right just to pick somebody else's pocket because you think the contents look good. I, it's why, why I, you know, you, you say give something to somebody in need, and you mentioned that earlier. I like that some of the telcos are saying, oh, you're in social housing, we'll give you a discounted internet, but the reaction is, that's fine, but that's too slow. We can't live with that. We can't live with slow high-speed internet. We need high high-speed internet. Yeah, you, you will never satisfy these people. Because remember, dial-up internet would have been a miracle to the poor, to the rich, and to everybody. And now, you know, you get Wi-Fi on your flight, and you say, oh, it's not fast enough, oh, it's not reliable <laughs> enough. But this is, just, this is just restlessness in the human heart. And, you know, kings and parliaments can't cure that. And, and these radicals making the personal, the political, it's, it's a tragedy in all kinds of ways, including that it can't work. And, but you can never make these people happy. You all just right. can't, and you might as G- well accept that. Give us a, a pitch for the, uh, the next project and where people can support it. It's one, to fix the Constitution, to clear up the, all the stupid stuff that was put in in 1982, to fix the defects that were emerging before 1982, keep what's right about the British North America Act, genuinely limited government, restore the authority of Parliament, and put the people in charge. And they go to fix the constitution.ca we welcome any contribution that you can manage will help us to put the state back under the control of the people in canada where it always was and where it still belongs all right the hillbilly professor thanks john thank you all right always good to speak with john robson when we come back we'll get to your call so you want to call in now 521-TALK-521-8255 star 580 on bell mobility I, i did not talk about uber all show because i'm a little ubered out i'm a little taxied out but when we come back, I'll, I'll give you a different analogy that I hadn't thought of till I was speaking with Gerard Deltel off air on how other industries have had to deal with this disruption. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Okay, this just came in and I'm laughing. And if you've been listening to John Robson for a long time on this radio station, then you'll know what this is about. I'm sorry that I can't say what the person's name is because they, I don't know, they're emailing me from a phone or something and the name doesn't show up, but... um, they said, wow, Robson didn't quote that Chester guy once. And then he goes, of course, talking about Chesterton. He says, uh, good luck changing the charter. Didn't Papa Trudeau strip out that because he was a commie? Uh, well, he was a bit of a commie, and uh, that may be why property rights aren't in there. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Do you have thoughts on any of the issues we've been discussing tonight? Uh, the Internet is a human right. Where real rights come from? I'm just going to go backwards through the show. The um, the issue of Justin Trudeau and his hypocrisy, having four different small businesses set up to manage his affairs, which means he pays a lower tax, filing his personal taxes in Ontario rather than Quebec because it saves him thousands of dollars. All of this, all of this while he's attacking Wealthy Canadians, small businesses, anybody that doesn't want to pay the maximum amount of tax. I'd say none of us want to pay the maximum amount of tax. That's just reality. What about the refugee stories? Tomorrow on The Rebel, we'll be breaking what we found on the trip to Halifax, Faith Goldie down there, to look into 
what happened in this story that generated so much controversy that the Halifax Chronicle Herald pulled it, denied anything ever happened, and then nobody wanted to talk. Meanwhile, here in Ottawa, government refugees who were promised the sun, the star, and the moon when government officials went over to Lebanon, to Jordan, to Turkey, and told people, please come to Canada, we have quotas to meet. Well, they're fending for themselves now and then having to turn and rely on food banks. The generosity of Canadians will kick in. The generosity of this community of Ottawa will kick in. But this wouldn't have been happening if they had relied instead on privately sponsored refugees. But that was a Harper thing, you know, getting people set up with a a community. Why have a community of people look after someone when you can have a bureaucrat looking after many someones, right? Bureaucrats are great. Look, I'm not picking on uh, bureaucrats, but at the end of the day, they go home. There's lots of you listening now. You know that your job is different than if you and friends had decided, let's sponsor family A. You cannot possibly look after 20, 30 families yourself. Uber. While Telltel was, um, and I were talking off air, we started talking about the media. He used to be in the media. He worked for uh, all three major French networks in Quebec. And, And we got talking about changes in the business. And the current leader of the Parti Québécois busted the union at Le Journal de Montréal. And he did that by, well, the the strike, the lockout actually happened because the union wanted to save the jobs of the women working in the classified department. Do you remember when you used to buy a classified ad in a newspaper if you had something to sell? One letter, barely used, for sale, $35, call. Who does that anymore? Pick up any newspaper. Find the classified department. It used to be pages and pages long. You had to have a directory for it. Homes are in Section 802 of the classifieds. Pets are in Section 341 of the classifieds. Now it's tiny because nobody is buying them. Nobody is, nobody's trying to sell their junk by buying a classified ad. You put it on Kijiji with a free ad. Well, did, did the journalists, did the people working in the classified department, Did the newspaper carriers, did they go down to City Hall and start sounding like this guy today when talking about Uber and the fact that the city is going to allow Uber to exist, losing his freaking mind? Do you know what you're doing? Okay. I mean, you know, you know how many lives you're running? This criminal organization sitting here, rubbing it in your face. Why don't you check all other cities where they're doing this over and over again? They're nobody. They don't care about your laws. And they will keep operating with or without your laws. I can't believe you're doing this to the Ukrainian city. This is the biggest criminal organization. The only reason why they provide cheap services is because they evade taxes, just like the cigarette smugglers. That's Tony Hajar, uh, the screaming taxi driver at Ottawa City Hall earlier today. I get the frustration. I get the anxiety. It's happening in the media. It's happening to every media outlet. But the newspapers lost in the backbone of their industry. There have been several newspapers have shut down simply over the loss of classifieds. 
that is a big, nobody talks about it. There are newspapers that have lost millions of dollars without losing readers. They've lost their revenue stream. And they haven't found a way to replace it. Are they, are they protesting? Are they screaming? Are they demanding that people shut down portions of the Internet? No, that's not happening. What are your thoughts on that? 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. And then Kathleen Wynne. Uh, she was on Ottawa Now earlier today, and I can't believe the gall of this woman. I absolutely cannot believe it. All the problems you've heard about at the Ottawa jail. And she comes on this radio station and says, oh, the, the, these conditions, oh, they're, they're just awful. We've got to make sure we've got the staff that we need in the jails. We need to make sure that we've got the services that keep, uh, keep all the corrections officers safe, but also that offenders get the support they need so that they can reintegrate. Hold on. How long have you been premier? How long have you been in, in cabinet as part of this government? Oh, for 13 years? And you've been premier for three of them? Huh. Huh. Imagine that. Imagine that. Well, then, what are you going to do about it, Kathleen? You don't just call the conditions egregious and say, we've got to make sure this and that are there. These problems have been known for a long time. What have you done about them? Nothing. But now it's embarrassing you, and you're talking as if you had nothing to do with it. These jails, the Ottawa Carlton Detention Center, is a provincial facility. It is your responsibility. You and your minister. This is called ministerial accountability. Fix it or resign. Oh, by the way, you're going to love this. I'll, I'll try and pull some audio of this. We've told you about the fire wind campaign that we're running at the Rebel. We've got the, uh, uh, the, uh, the petition going. We've got, we crowdfunded for a billboard to go outside our office. There's one billboard. It, I don't know if it's still up. It was uh, just down from our office. Then we got the one right across the street from our office. Giant billboard that says fire wind right outside our constituency office in Toronto. And... The Rebels' offices in Toronto got a, a letter today, today or, ye- or the, yesterday, from Elections Ontario's Compliance Division. And play a little bit of the audio of uh, that, of Ezra Levant talking about it. I, I found out about it this afternoon. I could not believe it. Yes, the officials are looking into, uh, we at the Rebel now, for daring to call for the incompetent corrupt premier to be fired. Send in the goons. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Call in now. 521-TALK. 521-8255. Star 580 on Bell Mobility. Or email me. Beyondthenews at CFRA.com. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. So we like to call for people to be fired, 
I mean, some of them deserve it. Have I told you? Firebob.ca lately. Bob Shirelli. Page and Bob Shirelli. Time for the energy minister to go. Um, you know, if I if I offered Bob six thousand dollars, would he have would he have a quarter chicken dinner with me at the Swiss Chalet on Carling and Kirkwood? I think that's in his writing, isn't it? If it's not in his writing, it's close. You know, so we could go have a quarter chicken dinner for six grand. Then I could talk to him about him getting fired. Well, we've run a fire Bob campaign and we had radio ads play on this very station. Nobody from Elections Ontario contacted us. But the billboard for Kathleen Wynne is actually, actually causing enough of a problem that Elections Ontario contacted the rebel offices. I'll play a little bit of uh, Ezra Levant explaining what's going on. You know our big billboard saying fire win right across from Ontario Premier Kathleen's Wynne's office? Well, it sounds like it got someone very, very angry, like Hulk smash kind of angry. And I'm guessing that someone's name rhymes with Wathleen Kin. So this very, very angry person must have called up the RCMP, the OPP, the Toronto Police Service, just guessing here demanding that the sign be taken down, maybe even calling the fire department. And so yesterday we received this letter from Elections Ontario written by someone called a compliance investigation officer. Oh, oh, compliance investigations. As if billboards in Canada are subject to some sort of compliance license, as if there's a legal offense to be investigated here. Now, I read the letter carefully, and it doesn't actually say we're doing anything wrong. Of course not. It is still legal to criticize Kathleen Wynne in Ontario. It's still legal to point out she runs a corrupt government and that she's a liar and that the Liberals have turned Ontario into a have-not province. It's barely legal, but it is still legal. I'm guessing this compliance officer was simply ordered to send this letter to us to try and scare us off or something. She was just doing her job to get the Premier's office off her back, I'm guessing. But let me read to you one money quote from the letter itself. It says, If you are planning on advertising during a general election or by-election period for the purpose of promoting or opposing the election of a registered party or candidate, then your organization must register with Elections Ontario. Which sounds like that's uh, true. But there is no election afoot and won't be for years. And there is no by-election afoot. The letter was a pure act of intimidation and not very successful. But but hang on. Did, did, did they say a by-election in, in Kathleen Wynne's writing? A by-election. Are they suggesting that a, a by-election might be happening? Hang on. Our billboard says firewind.ca. Firewind. If there's going to be a by-election in her writing... Doesn't that mean that we will have succeeded and got her fired? Maybe there's a double meaning here. I'll have to ponder it. While I puzzle over that, I know what this whole thing really means. It means we've got Wynn's attention with this billboard, and she hates it. If you want to help us keep this billboard going and spread more billboards like this around, please visit firewind.ca and chip in. Ten bucks, hundred bucks, whatever you can. Ten bucks to know that you are irritating Kathleen Wynne and her staff so much that they send us this letter. 
I'd call that a bargain. <laughs> it is a bargain to know that you're irritating. I'm going to read you more of the letter, and it's from a woman named Maria Martins, Compliance Investigation Officer. I am writing to you regarding a billboard advertisement and a website, firewind.ca, that Rebel Media has sponsored. We have reviewed this advertisement and believe it is political advertising. Yeah. And right now what I'm engaging in is political talk. What's your point? She goes on. This letter serves as a reminder that if you are planning on advertising during a general election or by-election period for the purpose of promoting or opposing the election of a registered party or candidate, then your organization must register with Elections Ontario as a third-party election advertiser and report on its contributions and advertising expenses. You heard as we read that hard off. Also, subsection uh, 22.9 of the EFA requires that a political uh, advertisement in any medium shall name the person's corporation, trade union, registered party, or registered constituency association who is causing it to appear and who's paying for it. But I love that. We have reviewed this advertisement and believe it is political advertisement. By the way, our billboard says right on it, the rebel.media in giant letters. It has to because it's a billboard and you expect people to see it as they drive down the street. The whole billboard, and you can see it at the Rebel, at, uh, where Ezra's story is posted in the video, it, uh, it says, stop the corruption, stop the lies, sign the petition, www.firewind.ca. It's got a picture of her with her hands out. Always be careful when Kathleen Wynne has her hands out. And then it has who sponsored it, the rebel.media. Why why would a bureaucrat do this? What good is going to come of it from them other than complete mocking of them? A mocking of their attempt to intimidate people into not engaging in political advertising. We need more political advertising, not less. We're not in the middle of an election campaign. So these rules and regulations don't apply. If I wanted to have a commercial on this radio station every hour, if I thought, you know, spending that money was a good idea and I wanted to do it, then we would do it. Back in a moment. Call in now. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Driving home the other night, getting to hear uh, music. From is, is his name Roger Hodgson? They, they were playing the the ad, and I'm sure you've heard it. Uh, the guy that was from Supertramp, he's coming. I got all excited, and then I found out the concerts in November. Supertramp is a little bit before my time, but I was old enough to know about it because it, Supertramp's Breakfast in America was my brother's first album purchase. 
Uh, he bought it at a Sam the Record Man on Hamilton Mountain years and years ago. Uh, same day that I bought, my first album purchase was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. But the problem was I didn't buy the Beatles version. I bought the soundtrack to the movie, which was awful. As funny as Steve Martin is, listening to him sing Maxwell Silver Hammer, not so good. Although it is better than listening to Justin Trudeau. 521 Talk, 521 star 580 on Bell Mobility if you want to get in on the conversation. Justin Trudeau has been going around blasting rich people. He's been blasting small business owners. He's saying nobody pays their fair share of tax. And, and then we find out that he has all these companies to lower his tax rate or defer taxes. And he's asked about it in the House of Commons by NDP leader Tom Mulcair. Gerard Deltel, who also asked him about it and couldn't get an answer, he was asking him in French. Deltel was in studio with me earlier, but Mulcair asked him and, and, and said, you know, come on, give us the truth. You, you didn't tell Canadians the whole truth, including that you shut one of these companies down the day after the election. Here's Trudeau's answer. Speaker, Canadians know that every step of the way I have been open and transparent about my own uh, personal finances, about my own holdings. Indeed, I raised the bar on transparency and openness in a way uh, that the members opposite simply never did. I, uh, I stand by uh, my disclosures, by openness, and continue to challenge members on the opposite side of the uh, House uh, to reach the level of openness and transparency that on this side of the House we have always demonstrated. Oh, I miss Stephen Harper, don't you? He never denigrated Canadians, and, and, and then we found out he was doing the same thing. He didn't say that the niqab was a foreign anti-woman measure and then turn around and force Lorene and his daughter to wear it. Trudeau, so good. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Scott in Cornwall, you're on Beyond the News. Hi, Mr. Lilly. How are you tonight? I'm perfectly adequate. Yourself? Uh, same thing. Uh, I just wanted to talk about uh, Wynn's uh, billboard. I'm thinking after this campaign uh, to fire her, if that doesn't get anywhere, which I hope it does, however, if it doesn't, I think it's a terrific way of, of uh, bringing up every issue with her because it seems that she got the ball rolling really quick to get that billboard down. So well, the, the billboard's not down, and we crowd we, we crowdfunded it, and, and you know, as, as long as we've got the money, we're going to keep it up there. That, that's what I'm saying, though. I, I, she seemed to react to it a lot faster than she does other things, like prisons and whatnot, being corrupt. Yeah. So I'm thinking that maybe you should upgrade it to an electronic uh, billboard so that you can change the message every day until we get into <laughs> everything that's there. Well, the reason we took this one is because it is literally across the street from her constituency office. No, I love it. And even though she's premier, you know that she goes in there. Uh, Dalton McGinty used to go into his Alta Vista constituency office on a regular basis. Uh, his staff, his right-hand man, John Fraser, now MPP for Ottawa South, he was always in there. So either Wynn or her staff are seeing this fire Wynn billboard every single day. There isn't an electronic one across the street, but you know, we're, we're trying to use the Internet, which taxi drivers in Ottawa would like shut down. 
uh, we're trying to use the use it in different ways, and we're going to find ways to. Part of what we're trying to do at the uh, the Rebel Media, Scott, is not just give you news, but also give you tools to interact. And so yep. the billboard's one of those, but th- there's going to be other online tools that we'll figure out as we go forward. Uh, you know, instead of just getting you angry about something, it's okay. You're upset about this. We're upset about this. Here's what we can do. I would send you fifty dollars if I could, but. I live in Ontario, so I don't have to. <laughs> not a problem. As I always tell people, if you can if you can support, that's great. But if not, what you can do, and you can do that with CFRA as well, the stories that that move you, you know, all your lefty family and friends have no compunction about sharing every story about how bad conservatives are on Facebook or Twitter or emailing them to you. We need to get to the point on for people that want common sense, smaller government, uh, conservative principles, to be willing to do that as well and to say, hey, that, that's a good story or that's a good article or that's a good whatever. I'm going to share it because sharing it you know, for, for people like us, it exposes us to more people, and that's, a, that's invaluable. Gets it out there, and then people that can do actually something about it can get involved. I mean, you don't, you can't do something unless you know about it. Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, I, I, I have to say that lately the Queens Park Press Gallery has uh, toughened up on the Win Liberals, and there have been there has been some good reporting, but too often, and we're seeing this with Trudeau right now, these people can get a pass; they can just get a complete and utter pass. Uh, not if you're on the air, buddy. No, absolutely. It's why I'm here. Thanks for the call. All right, man. Take care. All right. You want to get in on the conversation? It's 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Um, this is an issue that I, I raised a couple of years ago. Uh, there's a music festival over on the Quebec side. We have them here, too. This is not a picking on Quebec thing. But this festival is called Rockfest. It takes place in Montebello. Very cute little town. Well known for the Chateau Montebello, that lovely retreat, retreat set up by an American billionaire to be a private club that has hosted famous people from around the world. Uh, But they don't host this Rockfest concert at Chateau Montebello, but it's in the village. And they they get a lot of money. Well, this year they are... Last year, it was Lincoln Park and System of a Down that were there. I think Alice Cooper played a couple of years ago. And this year, they've got um, Insane Clown Posse, courtesy of your tax dollars. Courtesy of your tax dollars, Insane Clown Posse is coming to Quebec. These are, as um, I'm not sure who wrote this story. Actually, it doesn't have a name. Uh, It's a hip-hop duo. Uh, composed of Violent J and Shaggy Too Dope. They paint their faces in clown paint, and they have one of the most devoted followings in North America. Uh, I think they're called um, Juggaloos or something like that. And these people go all... There's a whole subculture of people that follow this insane clown posse around. But it's bizarre to see men in their... has to be late 30s, early 40s now going around in weird clown paint, doing bad hip-hop on your dime. But, hey, welcome to the world of Canadian festivals where there isn't anything we will not subsidize. And pretty soon I'll probably just go through the list of uh, 
subsidized festivals and acts here uh, on on this side. But insane clown posse, they're getting your money. They're probably happy about it. I'm not sure if you are. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. song called Greenback Boogie, the theme song to one of my favorite TV shows known as Suits, and I'm starting at Jones to uh, to watch their new season. It's not even out yet, but they're in the middle of filming it in Toronto, and the stars are all over social media posting photos of it because it's shot in Toronto, and um, they, they actually absolutely get involved in the community while they're there. In fact, one of the stars has just launched a new clothing line. There we go, Greenback Boogie. Uh, Megan Markle, who plays Rachel in the show, has launched a new clothing line with Canadian retailer uh, Reitman's. They've even uh, been involved in charity. So e- even though they're part-time residents of Canada that fly up from New York and L.A., it's good. Uh, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Michelle in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hello, I've enjoyed your program again tonight so much, and um, I just I just had to call in. I'm picking well, up the thank kids you. again. Uh, it's just you're fantastic, and the topics are so great. And I was thinking what John Robson must have been like when he was a young lad at his house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering a if precocious they young him, man. Pardon me. A precocious young man. Well, I'm with betting. a lot of energy, I bet you if they ever gave him a coffee, he probably talked all night. <laughs> <laughs> And then Ezra, oh my gosh, it just it was it's just so much fun listening to it and uh, and I think Ezra is our official opposition there with your billboard because really he's the only one seeming to really put up a fight here. So absolutely as soon as I get a chance I'll I'll send for a little bit of money and contribute to your billboard. Oh thank and, you. Uh, I just love that you're doing that and um, I hope everybody gets behind it because really that's what has to happen here. This is insane. And getting on to the music, I'm going to tell you I'm older than you. Okay. We don't need to discuss how much. <laughs> I won't uh, ask. But I lived out, my very first concert was, I lived on Vancouver Island, and we went to the uh, Super Tramp Breakfast in America tour. And so my girlfriends and I and the mother, we drove down, we caught the ferry, we went over, we walked around Vancouver for the day. Krista Berg was the backup band. The stadium he was, was the opening act? The opening oh, act. Oh, wow. It was unusually warm that day. And uh, it was in August, and they actually had like a water hose, fire hose, hosing down the crowd, and we were standing there. But it was just such an eye-opening day because literally we left our little town on Vancouver Island and went down, took the ferry over the big city, and we ended up lost walking around and where East Hastings. And it was an eye-opening event back then as well, so it <laughs> deteriorated, but it was still pretty bad. And um, yeah, so it was an experience, and um, 
but it was really, really a great concert. I have to tell you, it was so much fun. I, I imagine that that was a fantastic album. It was, and you know, Krista Berg is absolutely fantastic too. And some of his older stuff is just well. I enjoyed listening to it. I still do. I and, I, um, I I can appreciate it, but I, I was also turned off because in my teenage years, I I worked for a catering company that did a lot of weddings in the year and the following years when the Lady in Red was really big. Oh, that was no. I'm talking about earlier. Yeah, earlier stuff. but but in the mid '80s when that was a huge song, I was catering weddings every yeah. single weekend. I and can so, imagine. Like that, that song was just stuck in your head. <laughs> Everybody played it. And if you went to one or two weddings a year, that's no problem. But when you're at them constantly and then, then you get to the Christmas party season and you hear it all again and you're like, oh, just stop. You know, I often wonder when I hear those songs that are so big at weddings and you can't help but be a little bit cynical and think, hmm, I wonder how many of those people are still married and what they think of that song <laughs> now, too. So, oh, anyway, man. thanks keep for the up call, the Michelle. Interesting programs. I'm enjoying them. All right, all the best. You Let's too. go to. Uh, sorry, cutting her off there quickly. Ooh, too quick. Dave in Ottawa, you're on uh, Beyond hi, the Lord. News. Thanks again for taking the phone call. Uh, comment on Trudeau. I was in the car when I heard uh, the comments today in the question period thing, and I actually had to pull over to the side of the road so I wouldn't get involved in an accident. <laughs> you do that too? Yeah. So, sometimes I, you know, when you can't pull over, I'm just literally screaming and i will admit at times cursing i I do i scream and curse on my radio too wow yeah it's just (laughs) people driving by must think we're a pair of nutters he makes me sick i mean he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and i describe myself not as being born with a silver spoon in my mouth in my case is one of those plastic coffee stir sticks (laughs) that's what i tell people So, I mean, what do you make of his four companies? And we didn't know one of them was shut down the day after the election. Hypocrisy, hypocrisy of the highest order. Listen, I know what it's like to be poor. I came from a family of six kids, and Dad made minimum wage. And Mom would have a cheap winter coat that lasted 10 years. If you think hand-me-downs is fun, try having a big sister. (laughs) With that, I'll let you go. (laughs) All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, Keep them coming. Keep the calls coming. Keep the... uh, uh, keep the emails coming. Chris writes in, did you apply and get a Canadian subsidy? I have toddlers and see many uh, kids' cartoons that were done in Canada that got them. Yeah, hey, maybe we should be doing that, applying for uh, Made in Canada subsidies. I think, I, I don't know if you're talking about the, the Rebel, Chris, or about Sun News. Um, I'm not a fan of subsidies. Don't want to get into subsidies at all. But unfortunately, that's the way that the, the business goes. And... Too too much of the, the business in Canada of all kinds, including we're looking at Bombardier right now. But back to these Uber guys. Should the Ottawa citizen workers and readers and the Ottawa Sun readers and workers, should they be going down to City Hall and be demanding that City Council stop Kijiji, that they stop used Ottawa, that they stop... Wagjag and Groupon and all these things that that are stealing advertising from their classified section and that we should be protecting the classified ad section. Should they be doing that? Because that's essentially what Uber is asking for. What about the travel agents? How many people used to be employed as travel agents? And now, if you need to book a flight, I, I need to book one soon. I need to book one to go to the Conservative Convention in May. 
where hopefully, if things work out, I'll be broadcasting live to you from the floor of the Conservative Convention on May 26th and 27th. But should travel agents demand that they put the genie back in the bottle as far as the Internet goes? There's still travel agents in town. Guess what? They have learned how to adapt. I know Gord is a travel agent. He listens to the show. He listens to the radio station. He writes in sometimes. He adapted, and instead of selling me a ticket to go on vacation, he manages business travel. He found a way to say, okay, what service can I offer that still has value? And if you are managing corporate travel and you've got a bunch of people in your company or your union or your municipality, your department traveling, if you're not careful, it can get out of hand. So people like Gord and others around town, they set up the the bulk of their business is managing travel costs for large organizations. So that when people like me need to go somewhere, it doesn't cost the company twice as much as it should. That's how they adapted. But the taxi industry, which still has a good dose of protectionism in it in terms of how the city, yes, the city is allowing Uber, but there's still a good dose of protectionism in it in that uh, Uber can't hail. You cannot hail an Uber car. You can only hail a taxi. Uber drivers can't be at taxi stands. That's reserved for taxis. There's the paratranspo business. Eight or nine million dollars a year, I believe that is. All of that is restricted to the taxi industry. There's no set-asides for the travel industry, the classified industry. We can go down the list. What about booking a hotel? Do you go to a travel agent to do that, or do you go on one of a million websites? And find it yourself and say, I like this price. This website has the better price and this hotel has a a better rating. I'll go with that one. People are losing their jobs due to disruption all the time. But guess what? New jobs are created as well. Shopify. Prime example right here in town. The world is changing and you need to be able to adapt. I'm Brian Lilly. This has been Beyond the News. Thanks for listening tonight. You can check me out on Facebook, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Twitter, twitter.com slash Brian Lilly. And, of course, email news at cfra.com. That wraps the show for tonight. Thanks for listening. And, as always, I'm on your side. Yeah.